You want to give it a crack? Good day, Mighty Miners. <laughs> <laughs> right, good day, Mighty Miners. Sixteenth of May. Welcome to today's morning news. Now, if you haven't already, make sure you go back to yesterday's episode, the sweetened deal by Genesis for the sale of the Leonora assets. Covered it in detail. Make sure you go back, have a look. Check it out on YouTube as well. We're nearly at a thousand subscribers. Subscribers, JD Trav. We're imminent, are we? There you go. Thousand after five weeks. Unheard of, I've heard. If you're listening to this on the podcast right now, A, rate it five stars in your app, and then B, jump on the YouTube channel and click subscribe. That's it. Maddie does a great job chucking up charts, pictures, the whole works, hey? The attention to detail is lifting by the day, so it's great. Right, let's get into it. Today, we're going to get into the SPAC. The SPAC, the new SPAC that will grace our its presence on the ASX. What is a SPAC, you may ask? We're going to go into it. This SPAC is Metal Acquisitions Corp. Now, Mac, you would have seen taking the headlines of recent uh, in the AFR and everything. We keep mentioning the AFR, lucky them. But names associated with as uh, Nev Power and Bill Beamant and the CEO is Mick McMullen, who has, was on the board with developers, recently left. And this SPAC, Mac Rhymes, is purchasing the or hoping to purchase it's been going on for a while now the csa copper mine in cobar purchasing it from glencore so we're going to go into in detail what these spacs are why they're different to a normal asx company you would th- you see every day and how it works with this uh bit of an all-star lineup they got so boys let's get into it first the definition what is a SPAC. Yeah, let's get into it. So a SPAC is much more of a US phenomenon. We didn't really get any down here for a few different reasons. And to me, I'm not sure about you guys, but SPACs sort of epitomize the heyday of 2021. These things were just flying. So what does it stand for? Special Special Purpose Purpose Acquisition Acquisition Corp. Is it Corp? Uh, Company. Company. Uh. Special Purpose Acquisition Company. Like a blank check company, right? Yeah. So that they're also known as blank check companies and we'll explain why shortly. So essentially how it works is you get sponsors who are the management of this SPAC and they, they create it. They'll attract investors usually through their, their sort of brand name. They're, they might be famous people. So in the past, uh, Bill Ackman, a very famous hedge fund manager, Shamath Palihapitiya, uh, someone famous in tech circles, they were very notable for the amount of SPACs that they churned out in 2021. So essentially what you have once the investors have been attracted is a company, no operations, just a pile of money. And these shares to the investors are usually issued at $10. So this company then has a a mandate to acquire something. Now it's usually a company that's private that it'll merge with, but as in the case that we're going to talk about today, it can be an asset as well that they decide to merge with. So Sometimes it's even a public company, I notice. Yeah, yeah, it can be. the The most common uh, way, uh, the most common purpose was for a private company, so that this private company could become public without the the uh, scrutiny that the SEC and other organisations around the world would put on companies in that going public process. So, so SEC is the, the American ASIC. American equivalent of ASIC. Yeah. That's uh, right. And then so in its infancy, you've got a company with a, a blank, when you say a blank check with a lot of cash, their purpose is to buy either a company or an asset and they have a bit of an all-star lineup of people with, you know, credible and successful track records on like Bill Beeman and Nev Power, Nev Power from Fortescue Metals. So that is was the mm-hmm. all-star lineup. You trust trust the people to find a deal. That's the yeah. that's the premise, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, and to be clear, those guys weren't actually the sponsors in in this case, but we'll get that into that in in greater detail later. So a couple other things to note is that the the most common time frame is two years. So the the sponsors have two years to merge or find a company to do a deal with. If not, the shareholders can get their money back and they will get their money back at the end of two years. But 
the other and they, get, they get it back at the, the exact same price that they did in, right? That's so it. You get the $10. $10 a share. And is that why like, like you know, when, when there was like, you know, zero or negative interest rates, the SPAC was a lot more popular because, the, you know, the time value of, of your money was um, from a risk-free angle. Well, it wasn't material, right? Exactly. You got a free option on a, on a good deal. and So you can get your money back in a couple of years' time at the same price you put it in for, but in the Guar- meantime... Guaranteed. Guaranteed. But in the meantime, yeah. these things are tradable. And during 2021, just on the excitement and on the rumours of a potential deal, the share prices would go flying. So it was a, a crazy, crazy time there. And there's a few other things we should mention. Shareholders vote on the proposed deal. So in the case of Metals Acquisition Corp, that vote is happening uh, next month. And at that point, they can either not go ahead with it, get their, get their money back, or they can agree and then the, the thing gets merged, gets a new name and so on. It's interesting, JD. I, I, it, you know, you, there's a few data providers out there that talk a fair bit about um, the returns of SPACs over periods of time. And um, if you... like. W- We'll bring up a chart now, but it basically shows, you know, the medium, the median return, um, you know, in a de-SPAC transaction um, by percentage return to, to shareholders by industry. And, and, and you can see that um, for the longest period of time, you know, the median return from, from one of these SPAC transactions is, is substantially negative. So they, they, they've, they've got a bit of a bad reputation. They had a, a heyday in the 2021, but um, they're, they're definitely not... Um, yeah, but like there's definitely some question marks on the ability of these transactions to actually generate outsized returns. Yeah, and that uh, lack of regulator scrutiny has at times been like the reason that some people will say SPAC isn't the way you should go public. It's a way for, you know, quote unquote, not as up to scratch companies to go public. And if you just sort of glance your eyes over the, the biggest SPACs of the last couple of years, Virgin Galactic's one, I think they're in bankruptcy as of last week. Um, Nikola is another electric vehicle maker. They went from a share price high of about $65, found to be a, a fraud, and they're trading at about 70 cents now. So, Are there is that a, chart there, Trav? Is that all American companies? Have there been any instances of SPACs in Australia? Well, they're, they're a function of the listing rules on, on the exchange that they're on. So that, the, where these... Um, have have grown in prominence is the New York Stock Exchange because of the you know the listing rule dynamics that sort of facilitate um, these types of transactions and and that's why you know even um, a mining spec ended up on the on the New York Stock Exchange because um, yeah even though they're sort of you know Australian people headlining it and ultimately it was an Australian asset deal um, it was it was more a function of the listing rules on that exchange. Yeah, so I think that sort of um, wraps up what really a SPAC is and we can move into why these guys are in, in the news lately. So they've raised or got agreements to raise US $140 million and most of the, the figures we'll note today are in US dollars given it's an American company. So they've got that from Cornerstone Investors. Now that is what they call a, a pipe, which is essentially a placement if you're an Aussie investor. That's what you uh, equate that term to. And this has been the biggest pipe in the last 18 months. So that really just shows the fall from grace that, that SPACs have had lately. Well, the, cha- the challenge is in actually getting these, these SPAC transactions away, right? Because you need these pipe investors to come in and, and make it all work because the redemptions on the initial cash is so, are so large. 100%. So like we said before, shareholders will now vote on June 5th to convert the business into a copper company. And they will act as a platform for further purchases from a SPAC after completing marathon efforts to raise the money to buy Glencore's CSA mine near Cobar. So the last thing they'll need here is support from two thirds of shareholders at that June 5th meeting. Okay, so, and these shareholders are Americans? There are they, is this, this company has come from America and they're spinning out this SPAC in Australia, how's it? How's They're not it necessarily American shareholders. Like um, you, you, you can be an investor in a New York Stock Exchange listed company as as someone domiciled in um, other parts of the world too. And they were trying to attract uh, institutions on the sort of premise, knowing that um, the company would in turn have an ASX listing down the track. Yep. And who do they? Who are the big shareholders? Do they disclose it? I'm sure they do in the prospectus. Yeah, they, they, they do. I think I'll touch on that one a bit further down, Maddie. No worries. Sorry to butt in. Uh, there's, and this is, uh, as I said, this is finance 101 for you guys. So I'll be asking plenty of questions to clarify it for the uh, money miners and myself. Well, mate, it's a pretty 
complicated one, even though it, yeah, you, you call it finance 101. These transactions, they're not commonplace in Australia. You never, you never see them. You hear about them in the news because they were a function of the American market. But um, I think there'll be a lot of people asking the same questions as you are today and the same questions JD and I were, were asking each other this morning. Yeah. So I reckon we can get into the transaction a bit now. So they're buying the CSA copper mine. Now this is in country New South Wales. Cobar. Uh, that's it. And Glencore- Shout been- out to Peter Finn if you're listening from Cobar. Glencore have been uh, looking to sell this one for quite a few years. How long have you guys heard rumours for, for this one on? Well, IGO were, God, I think it was announced at oh, it was a conference or something. IGO were planning to buy it. And yeah, they were, they were in the box through. seat just last year. So a bit of background, it's looking to produce between forty and 46,000 tonnes of copper plus silver byproduct credits over a mine life that currently sits at roughly 20 years. So highest grade uh, copper mine in Australia. I'm pretty sure DeGrusa was higher. It's the highest grade copper mine and one one of, I think on their website it said the fourth highest grade copper mine in the world. It's pretty deep, Matty. Very deep. One of the deep, it's not as, their website said 1,750 metres, not as deep as Gualia, but they've got a shaft. So they don't, it's not decline travel. There's a hoisting system, gotcha. um, yeah. but very deep and very hot in country New South Wales couple, yeah, so and amplified by the fact it's so deep. It's been mined for quite a while. Glencore picked it up in 99, I think, actually out of administration, I think. So getting into the, the price tag, US 1.1 billion. So the deal has been recut quite a bit over, over the past year or almost two years now, but that dollar figure has uh, stayed pretty similar, hasn't it? It's just really the terms of that that, that have been changed. Glencore definitely have a bit of a reputation for being quite stubborn on value. So it doesn't surprise me that the uh, 1.1 billion uh, headline number has stayed the same, but... Yeah, I think it served them well. Yep. There's a lot of interest, but there's a lot of um, contingent payments attached with this now, the updated deal. Yeah. So let's get into all the different aspects. Like we said, 1.1 billion US plus a 1.5% copper royalty that uh, Glencore will take. Glencore is also actually going to be buying all the <laughs> copper and silver that is produced for the, for the lifetime of um, the mine. Oh, so, so they've so, secured the life of mine offtake as well as the sale. They have, That's yes. Right. Yeah, right. Which I think is what they really care about, right? That, and that uh, in addition to the royalty. So it's all just a big pool, pool swimming back to Glencore. That's it. So $775 million is in cash. Now, this can be scaled up to $875 million depending on that pipe. So think placement, which is going ahead at the moment. $75 million deferred to be paid out on half the proceeds of any future raising. So I think you could um, speculate that when they list on the ASX – up to $75 million, depending on how much they raise. We're going straight to Glencore. Then a couple contingent payments. So $75 million contingent on copper being greater than $4.25 a pound for 18 continuous months and another 75 contingent on copper being greater than $4.50 a pound for 24 continuous months, plus obviously that 1.5% royalty. So really gambling on the copper price going up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you look at you look at that and this is the recut terms, right? It's not the terms when it was first announced for the acquisition. This is what's sort of been renegotiated um, probably to just help get the whole deal over the line, right? Um, and and there's additionally 100 million in common equity as well that as well. Glenn called yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the upfront component from a cash perspective is is that, you know, minimum of US 775 Um and the rest, yeah, you, you look at it as deferred and contingent. They're giving away some of the upside by having these copper price contingent pieces um, yeah, and I th- the royalty as well sort of gives away some of that upside. From absolutely. I think it'll be quite interesting to sort of dig into how the deal's changed. So we started hearing about this mid-2021. It was ongoing for quite a while, but let's break down how that initial deal looked to how mm. it looks now. Yeah, well, I think I think the the interesting part to me is is maybe not what the the price tag change has been, but more how are they how they're going to fund it? How has that changed? Um, it's be- one odd billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, one point one US. Yeah, totally. It's a juicy big 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 number, right? So, and ultimately, I think working down to how that impacts the equity shareholders will be quite interesting, won't it? Yeah, because, I mean, this deal was struck in an environment where SPACs um, probably had a, had, a, had a bit more 
capability of actually funding deals, but in the intervening time, redemption rates on SPACs are so large that um, getting getting these de-SPAC transactions over the line is, is a lot more difficult. You need um, yeah, you need you need other sources of equity and some innovative sources of equity to to, to make it all happen. And I think that's what I want to talk about here. So, like, let's 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 look at the funding sources for Metals Acquisition Corp. They've got a senior debt facility, or they've got senior debt facilities. There's three of them that they talk about in their latest prospectus on the SEC, um, and they add up to US 258 million bucks. Now that that's down from what was you know on first announcement signaled to be 375 million. There's a mezzanine finance facility. Um, and that's US 135 million bucks down from 175. And I think for those wondering what mezzanine really means is in the capital structure, it just sits below senior debt. So if things in a company sort of go belly up, the senior debt holders have the first rights to the assets of the company, mezzanine come behind them. And you then pay a higher interest rate on it. Exactly. Yeah. So and higher interest rate and at the bottom of that pile is generally equity holders. And why are they down, Trav? Those um, facilities of is that being used for this or well keep it well I, like you you can probably question like how how binding some of the original debt facilities were that it was probably conditional on on the equity all coming together and I think you know the equity part coming together has looked more challenging so um, they've they've renegotiated a lower upfront cash requirement so it's now that only seven seventy five so I think all of these debt pieces slide down a bit you still look at it and you think um, there's, a, there's a good chunk of debt in there. And, and I think we'll get to that. Um, so so a couple couple of streams in there as well, wasn't there? Yeah, Sil- Silver Stream um, has sort of stayed the same, but it's, yeah, about US 75 to, to, to 90 million. And for those wondering, Silver, Copper Streams, what these things are is the company is giving money upfront for a right to purchase a percentage of the production going forward. And that right to purchase is at usually a very small percentage of what the actual price of that commodity sits at. How does it, how does a stream sort of and it differ from a royalty, JD? So the, the key differentiators between a stream and a royalty is uh, somebody who gets a royalty isn't having to pay, even though it's only a, a small amount here, in this case, 4% of what the actual price of that commodity is. That's not the case with a royalty. You're just getting it. And often there's negotiated timeframes for a streaming agreement. So in these cases, they've made that agreement to have the right to purchase the commodity for 20 years. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So like interesting, right? But, but the, both of them effectively are kind of, um, you're giving away some of the equity upside um, in exchange for money upfront. Is that the best way to think about it? Yeah. They're yeah. sort of nuanced ways to not have to dilute or take on as much debt, essentially. Yeah. Not, non, non-diluted from an and a shareholder perspective, but certainly diluted from, you know, what's actually happening um, to, the, to the revenue, right? 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's the, the, there's the silver stream we talked about and there's also a copper stream. This is new. It wasn't in the original docs, but it's a copper stream tied to a redemption backstop facility to provide um, up to 75 million bucks. So that copper stream is only put in place if the redemptions are greater than anticipated for the company, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, the, the stepping back a bit, Metals Acquisition Corp is currently um, a blank check company with a bunch of cash and the people who put that cash in have the right to redeem it. Um, in recent history, those redemptions have been really, really high, like thinking 95% and above. Um, you know, Metals Acquisition Corp have done their analysis assuming a certain redemption rate and if that certain redemption rate is higher than they imagine then they're going to have to use this, yeah, Copper Stream redemption backstop facility. Then, then there's also like, you know, some of the equity is being committed by these financiers, Sprott, who's actually providing the MES facility, they're tipping in 15 million for equity, and Azisco, who's providing the copper streaming and backstop facility, they're tipping in 25 million, million bucks of equity there as well. There's pipe equity, which that, that placement piece of, of new equity holders, which we, we talked about their subscription agreements in place. Um, and then and then they're also going to have to rely on whatever cash is is... Um, you know, not redeemed, so left in the trust for the for the purposes of actually funding the transaction as well. So, how much is the shortfall, Trav, based on all that for this one point one billion dollar price tag? It all considerable. De- it really all depends on what um, their existing shareholders choose to do. Come, you know, this 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 upcoming vote. It, these these shareholders have the right to redeem their cash at ten bucks 
you know, per share or they have, or they can, you know, choose to follow the company and become a shareholder and, and participate in the, the equity upside that um, pertains to these, you know, metals acquisition corp um, shares over time instead. So it's hard to predict, right? Unless you have really good insight on what that redemption rate is going to be. You could do some thumb suck analysis based on historic redemption rates and, um, and Mac themselves do some of that analysis in their latest prospectus too. Um, and then top it off with the fact that, yeah, Glencore, they've, they've agreed to accept more equity themselves, um, take some back-ended payment and, and copper price-related contingent payments. All, and all of that is just to reduce that upfront consideration piece but maintain headline value. God, how many, how many royalties would Glencore have around the world with all their acquisitions and everything? They would have a massive stream of them, wouldn't they? Things like this. This would be one of many, I assure. Well, yeah. There will be plenty around. That's, there's no doubt about it, Matty. So with all that, you know, streaming, royalties, debt facilities, I think it'd be really interesting to sort of dig into what it actually means for equity investors. And I think that's really important because this company is planning to list on the ASX, you know, sooner or later, I think there's a good chance we'll see it listed here. And the rumors have been of a, a pretty huge, you know, $500 million IPO on the ASX in quite a few months time. So let's sort of break down what those sort of equity investors will be buying into. Mm. And and just to clarify before you get into that, that 500 mil IPO and the $150 million pipe, how are they linked? Is that the IPO in Australia, a whole new set of investors? Yeah. The the pipe is something that's agreed. The ASX listing is something that's still hypothetical at the moment down the track. This vote will be the sort of um, tell all. And this IPO will raise $500 million cash. Oh, rumoured to. This is all speculative. The ASX piece is all, um, yeah, there's no real good data on that yet, but this is just what's rumoured in, in the media. The, the yep. company has actually in the 700-page prospectus that we enjoyably read today, uh, they do I have a few... But you boys did. <laughs> they, they have a few lines pertaining to their intentions to list on the ASX and... Uh, some figures around it. There is one point where they um, mentioned the figure 225 million US dollars to potentially come in the door through a future ASX listing. So there you go. That's insightful. Um, but the media's obviously pulled that 500 from somewhere. That seems to be that headline number that's going around 500 odd. So yes, we'll wait and see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like coming back to your point, JD, like like we're talking about the equity holders in Mac, what do they get? And we know from Finance 101 that the equity gets whatever's left at the end of the day when you're servicing all of your other financing costs. So, yeah, like put aside the operational performance of of CSA um, and let's just look at what, you know, once you you get some profit from that, what sort of, of, you know, interest do we have to service or or royalty payments do we have to make and, and all of that sort of stuff? I think that's an important thing to talk about because whatever's left over once you do all that is actually what's available for equity holders. So starting with the senior debt facilities, there's three of them. Facilities A and B add up to US $230 million and the interest rate on them is so far plus a 3% margin. And a lot of people are probably wondering what on earth so far is. So I think when Trav and I were in uni, the the benchmark that was always used was LIBOR, but now it's um, commonly used as SOFOR and it stands for Secured Overnight Financing Rate. And just for reference, at the moment, that sits at about what the US Fed funds rate sits at. So that's a bit over 5%. So given in mind, Trav, the number you just mentioned for what it sits is SOFOR plus 3%. That's at over 8% interest rate for the senior debt, which is the, as you'd expect, lowest interest paying debt. Yep. And there's also a facility B for Penn to be US $28 million. It's not yet committed, um, but that, that piece there is required to, to you know, guarantee um, some of the requirements for rehab at CSA. Yeah, now let's get into the, the mezzanine facility. That's an interesting one with some pretty juicy looking interest rates on it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not an insignificant quantum, right? So this mezzanine facility is US $135 bucks. Sprott is the lender. And the price tag that, you know, the interest payment on, on this MES facility is so far plus 8 to 12%. It depends on the copper price in the period on, on what, um, what margin it's going to be there, the 8 to 12%. Jeez. So what's that 
potentially 13 to 17 13 percent yeah. per annum. 13 wow. to 17%. Yeah, 13 to 17% on the on the, the MES facility, US 135. Yeah. And that, but that that facility Sprott take the interest for that. Is that how that works? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sprott give the US 135 up front. They get the interest payment and um and they'll expect principal repayment as well in due course. It is worth mentioning, right, that um, part of the the equity piece that's all come together, you see Sprott in there, they've agreed to buy US $15 million of the equity in Mac. Um, and I look at that and I sort of think, what's that 15 million bucks of equity compared to that juicy, juicy interest rate on the debt, right? It's like less than um, less than one year's worth of interest payments on that debt. Um, so, you know, and plus they get some warrants that have a nice five-year expiry date on them as well. So, you know, the equity I think is is relatively a small part of the equation for Sprott when yeah, you consider that debt. Absolutely. And I think the same goes for Cisco. So we'll get into the silver stream now. US $75 million that Cisco is giving to Metals Acquisition Corp. And in turn, what they get is the right to buy 90% of the silver that's produced from the mine. And that right to buy is at 4%. So they only have to pay 4% of what the going price for silver is to get it. So if you'd look backwards and sort of put this over what the mine produced over the past couple of years, say in 2019, 430,000 ounces of silver. A Cisco would have then had to pay $400,000 and in turn made about $11 million from what that silver was actually worth. And similar to Sprott, they've also chipped in with 15 million equity investment there. That's not the, the last of sort of Cisco's role in, in the financing this consideration. They've also agreed to this redemption backstop facility, which is tied to a copper stream. Um, remember, this is the new piece that that I wasn't sort of talked about on the first deal and has sort of come into the, the things. And I sort of look at this and think, you want to be streaming the copper? The copper is the um, the selling point here. But um, but you know, but but there is there is definitely this this copper stream is part of the revised deal. So as this go, they'll make available. Um, US 100 million bucks if there is a shortfall in funds available for Mac as a result of greater than expected redemptions. And that will be US $75 million for a copper stream and 25 million bucks equity subscription. So the two are tied together, the equity participation and the copper stream available. So the the copper stream, the terms are similar, but um, in some aspects a bit different to what the silver is. So they'll only get the opportunity to buy between 2 and 5% of the total payable copper produced at the mine, depending on how many years after the, the closing of this, this deal it is. And similar to the Silver Stream, they'll only have to pay 4% of what the going rate of copper is at the time of delivery. So those numbers end up being similar to Silver. Over the past couple of years, they would have been paying $400,000 for the equivalent of about $11 million worth of copper. Geez, they'll uh, struggle to find an accountant that want to work for them to sort all this shit out. <laughs> Far out. This is, uh, is this on the absolute high end of complicated deals and off-taken royalty arrangements? Yep. Yep. It could Good. be a bit Thank more Thank God for that because <laughs> I was thinking if this is simple. Well, I think that the complexity speaks to the challenges of, of funding the acquisition price. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of streaming and royalty and um, contingent and deferred finance. It all comes together just to get the cash to fund the acquisition price. And to get all, and it seems like to everything was hinging on to get all these Sprott and everyone Cisco and all that on board. They needed to uh, have those contingent ten, contingent considerations to get them all in. So everything, the the buying, the offtake, it's all like oh, talk about it. Yeah. we need a family tree here. Yeah, well, it looks it looks like. Yeah, like as Cisco and Sprott, they're getting um, pretty good sort of deals in terms of you know streaming deals or or, or lending deals, and and those the, the way that um, you know Mac have negotiated their arrangements with them, it, it's included this equity participation as well. So I think you got to look at their equity participation in the context of their roles in actually financing the acquisition too. And and I think we can just fly through the last of those terms. So as we mentioned, there was the one point five percent royalty going to Glencore. Deferred payment up to $75 million of any future equity raisings that the company does, and then the contingent payments that total $150 million US, as we mentioned before. So all of all of those, I guess, are you know, liabilities that that you gotta yeah, got you've got to be able to fund before any anything goes to equity. Yeah. So who's getting the best deal there? Sprott's interest rate looks pretty good. Obviously, Glencore get the massive 
sale price plus the royalty. So you, who's in the best seat? Tell me where the copper price goes and I can <laughs> tell give you, you the who gets the best deal, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Glencore get, get a pretty good deal, I reckon, but um, that's my hot take. <laughs> absolutely. So let's get into the sort of operating cash flow. I think that's kind of interesting to see how that, that plays out in, in future periods. Mm. Well, grade is king. So if the copper price appreciates to these levels that people are talking about and you've got the one of the highest grade copper mines in the world, the uh, margins are very, very juicy. Yeah, if you're something sort of like this. wondering, uh, Mac reported that CSA mine had cash costs of $1.71 a pound last year. Mm. And, I, and I guess like we've just talked about all of these, um, you know, high interest, well, what we think are sort of high interest obligations and streaming and royalties and all the rest that have to be serviced by the cash flows of, of CSA. And, and of course the equity is not entitled to, to that element. So it just leads you to, to question, you know, like who's, who's actually participating in the equity here? Who's, who's, you know, who's buying um, the pipe ultimately or the, the placement to get, to get this whole, whole deal away. It's, and it's all sort of contingent on that. And we saw them, you know, announce that $140 million in um, pipe subscriptions. Well, you know, we spoke about Sprott and Zisco and um, it's sort of clear to see that their their equity participation is is tied to these good deals that they're getting from a streaming and financing perspective. Like, so who, who else? Who else is participating? Right. Well, like disclosed within the prospectus itself, it actually says that there is an agreement for certain cornerstone investors to be transferred founder shares as part of their investment. So I think, like you know, in, in addition to that, um, I imagine Mac are also counting on a decent proportion of the cash that's in the trust right now not to be redeemed. And, um, and we, we, you know, in, in, the, in the headlines of the deal and everything like that, we also read that the MAC directors, they're tipping into their pockets to get the pipe over the line as well. So I think that kind of flows into what the incentive structures look like. And I think that's an interesting discussion because like we sort of said, the, um, the job of management or the sponsors is to get this deal to happen. And they are incentivized by what's called a promote. So upon the execution of the deal, that promote can end up being about 20% of the shares on issue of this company. And that can be a, a pretty healthy amount depending on um, the size of the overall uh, company. So does that, does that tie into that point you just made, Trav, with the, the founding shareholders can be transferred Shares is that like transfer mean given, or yeah, yep, yes, and that and that's based on what JD says is the success fee you could say for completing an acquisition. So it's like being like being a corporate advisor advising an ASX company on a, a raise or a merger. They have a fee that they're given if you successfully complete that. If you can you is that sort of a parallel comparison to how these SPACs work? It's, yeah. The, the the prospectus has some some wording about the value of those um the the shares that go to the sponsor. They're ultimately um, worth a fair bit if the deal occurs and they're worth nothing if no deal occurs. So and this, and yeah, this sponsor, the success fee, you could think of it like that. Yeah, yeah, so this and this sponsor, as we've said, these SPACs come around by uh, getting an all-star lineup, people with a rep business a execution reputation, uh, successful companies, and they say, right, we will give you shares if you find us an asset. And this asset to speak of is CSA. Yeah, but there are there are some constraints. Obviously, they're not getting paid cash, they're getting paid shares. And some of those constraints may be, I think in the case you can read here, that they can't sell within the immediate year post the deal wrapping up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, and we keep talking about this sponsor. I think it's important to kind of clarify like what a sponsor is in the context of a SPAC, JD, yeah, absolutely. So the, the sponsor during 2021 was really the key attraction. Those names that I mentioned, Ackman and Chamath, you know, they really attracted a lot of people and they're just sort of le leveraging their reputation. People think these guys can get a deal done, you know, so I'll back them. Like Trav touched on earlier, the opportunity cost was so low. You can get your 10 bucks back in 24 months time. And when interest rates are zero, that looks like a, quite a quite a good deal. And obviously how they get compensated is getting a, a good slice of that combined business once the deal is completed. For Mac, the sponsor uh, for, for, yeah, for Metals Acquisition Corp is a Cayman entity called Green Mountain Metals, LLC. 
And I want to talk through some things that I can deduce by unpacking the prospectus lodged with the SEC a few days ago. First, first Cayman Islands uh, company we've talked about. This should be pretty interesting, Trav. <laughs> oh, there's a few of them floating the around. Way so upon, upon the business combination being approved, so that's that vote next month, the sponsor will end up with about six and a half odd million shares in Mac. And, and that equates to about between, you know, 11 and 20% of the pro forma company, depending on, on the redemptions. At, at the $10 per share price tag, it's just short of about US 70 million bucks. And I want to read a paragraph in the prospectus that that puts that um, that sponsor piece, I think, into context, and in, especially in respect of the incentives at play here. So, shareholders should be aware that, aside from their interests as shareholders, our sponsor and certain of our directors and officers have interests in the business combination that may conflict with those of other shareholders generally. Our directors were aware and considered these interests, among other matters, in evaluating the business combination and in recommending to shareholders that they approve the business combination. Shareholders should take these interests into account in deciding whether to approve the business combination. These interests include, among other things, the fact that certain of our directors and officers are principals of our sponsor, the fact that six and a half odd million founder shares held directly by our sponsor for which it paid $25,000 in aggregate, will convert into six and a half odd million shares of new Mac ordinary shares upon closing, but will be worthless if an initial business combination is not consummated. Okay, so so that's, that, that's saying those, that 70 million bucks is, will be given upon 70, sorry, 70, 70 million bucks worth of shares yep. in the pro forma will be given upon successful acquisition of CSA in yep. this state. Yeah, the vote needs to be approved, the business combination occurs and the sponsor emerges with seven, yeah, with, with about six and a half odd million shares in Mac. Um, but if, if there's no vote, then, that, that, then it, it's a big, it's a zero sort of worthless position. Okay, so what do we know about this Green Mountain then? So the sponsor, so let, let me actually just clarify the sequence of events here for me, lads. So, this Green Mountain Company, Green Mountain Metals Company has been created. That company then created a SPAC. Well, they don't create it. <clears throat> it's, um, yeah, the SPAC's a separate entity. It, the sponsor becomes a shareholder of the okay. de-SPAC'd. Sort of, okay, yeah, so that, then Metals Acquisition Corp was created at some point. This Green Mountain then says to Metals Acquisition Corp, here is a blank check, go find me... A mine. We want exposure to the upcoming copper no, boom. No, Green, Green Mountain doesn't uh, dip into their own pocket for cash. Green, Green Mountain, um, yeah, is usually representative of, of some of the talent that will work for the, for the SPAC, um, but they don't, they don't actually have to pay much. They, like in this case, it said they paid 25 grand, right? Um, but they get given, like for that 25 grand, they end up with a pretty large percentage of the company upon a successful deal combination. And um, they, attract, they attract the initial investors. Okay, and that, that $70 million worth of shares that yep. go to Green Mountain, that is then given to the Green Mountain principals, office holders, or yeah, how, well, how do you term it? Well, Green Mountain is, yeah, a company that will, like, it's a bit, you know, behind uh, the, the Cayman, Cayman Island um, laws of, of, of how the ownership structure is there. We can infer some things from the details in the prospectus about who who has some rights to or some some shareholding of, of that company. But um, but yeah, but and they're the but they're the people that are making this deal happen. So instead of this, instead of a company saying right, let's employ an advisor and some uh, finance firms to say right, we need help to acquire a, a project. Instead of paying them all the money to help them, they get these individuals with good reputations and uh, track records, and they pay them in these. That's one of the ways it works. Shares. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you're going to have to dumb it down for us all, you boys. JD's the best place one to, to dumb it down, I reckon. 
Jeez, what's that, mate? J- J- Having J- a go, I JD, you, re- you can work at my level, JD. So, so to recap, I reckon there, we can see that Green Mountain Metals is the sponsor of this. We don't know who the, the directors or the actual shareholders of Green Mountain are. That's just a, a Cayman company. They paid 25 grand. They got what is today roughly $70 million worth of shares, but they only get that upon, yep. Yep, upon completion of this deal. And you can see reading through the prospectus that there is some overlap between directors of Meadows Acquisition Court, MAC, and the officers or principals of Green Mountain Metals. So that's all yeah, we can there's, sort of there's actually surmise. There's like a signing, an ex- signing execution block that lists members of, of Green Mountain Metals. I'm not sure if it's exhaustive or not um, or if there's other, other shareholders of that entity, but you can get a pretty good read of some of the overlap that exists there. So moving into the incentives, I think that's what we're kind of talking about here and how they sort of lie between the sponsors and the shareholders in this company. We can sort of break down, we can do a a Cynics versus Optimus, Trav, Cynic. I think Trav will take the Cynic. Yep. Cynic I reckon that fits uh, my cold heart. <laughs> Break it down for us. So, like, I reckon a Cynic's take, um, a Cynic's take is that these SPAC structures, they result in these less than perfect alignment between management and new shareholders. And the incentives of a SPAC can sometimes lend themselves to getting the deal done at any price. Um, and if that involves overpaying sometimes to get a deal done, then servicing the finance can be pretty tough on whoever's left holding the equity. And yeah, like additionally, I think you've got the the sponsors who are pretty motivated by both time pressure and the payoff um, to actually see a deal done because um, because obviously there's, you know, there's uh, a, a ticking clock on, um, on when the, the redemption date occurs. Um, and there's also a ticking, yeah. You know, there's also like a payoff of, of either nothing or a fair bit if a if a if a deal completes. But then then they're in, but they're incentivized by the fact that they're being paid in shares, not cash. So they they wouldn't want to do a real shit deal because they then got the exposure to the share price if it does become under pressure. Well, th- I mean, like think of the average like implied price of. Um, of the shares going to the sponsor in this case. They pay 25 grand, they get six and a half million shares. Um, yeah, even if Metals Acquisition Corp traded down 90%, then they're still up an enormous amount. So, And, that, and yeah. that's a, you could see, can you see that as a fee for service in a way? Yeah, I think that lends in itself to the optimist take. Okay. The I, think opti- a, I think a shareholder who would have lost 90% of its money would, struggle to see or struggle to justify that fee for service. No, I mean the fee for service in not in the case that it went down 90%. If it went down 90%, something's gone seriously wrong. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I think we could jump into seeing what an optimist would kind of see in this this spec structure, structure and specifically as it relates to Metals Acquisition Corp. Do you believe these optimistic statements, but JD, even though you're reading them? Uh there are some that I'd buy into. There's like, like Trav sort of touched, like there are some incentives that are aligned, though they're far from perfectly aligned. But there are other like signs an optimist would look for. You're getting access to a pretty, you know, highly renowned team. So we know the team involved in this one and as it goes with all specs there, have been quite reputable people and some less reputable people involved in SPACs, but just being able to do a deal with these and the uh, the fact that a lot of these like highly regarded people can work together on the same sort of deal because they can align their incentives. Hmm. So like the SPAC structure, because there is this payoff concentrated to the sponsor, it actually can sometimes act as a bit of a talent magnet and exactly. you get lots of talent all working together on the same thing. Yeah, and as it sort of relates to... Metals, just t- chime in on the optimism there. Good work, Trav. Very proud did. of you, Trav. As it relates to Matters <laughs> Acquisition Corp, the management has said that they reckon they can optimise this mine and run it a bit better. We've um, heard that story quite a bit and maybe it'll hold up. Maybe the, the asset just doesn't sit right within Glencore and they can run it a bit better. And additionally, if you are just bullish on copper prices, that might be another reason to be optimistic about, about this company coming together. Okay, so the, the funding, or the, we probably rehashed before. Let's go over it again. So no one knows who's going to be tipping in to the Australian IPO yet. That's all yet to be determined because it still needs to be voted on 
by the Mac shareholders. That's right. Yet to be determined. Yeah. Okay. So that's still up there. So that'll be pretty exciting to see who is going to. So, and you said that's about five hundred million bucks. Oh, I reckon that'll still be determined. Oh yeah. So that's demand. where they, they said in the prospectus that US two fifty, but and but then there was yeah, media, 225, yeah. media saying yeah. five hundred. I think and that probably they'll probably media will probably quote it in Australian dollars. Well, think of what you yeah. might have to price that at as well, um, in order for it to be attractive to. Australian investors, you can't like in this in this example the pipe transaction. We you know we brought up the fact that um, some of the cornerstone investors participating in that are actually getting transferred some of these founder shares um, as an extra incentive. Right, you can't do that when you come IPO on ASX. That's all. All those shares are now ordinary shares in in, in Mac. So um, so the 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 pricing of any IPO I think is going to be an important factor, especially benchmarking it against the pipe investment price. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I, it's got to be attractive enough for equity, you equity to, to participate. Yep, and so, okay, let's ha- hash out why a SPAC is doing this, why a SPAC is going for say, say, and what like, so if you were, say these all-star people got together la- a couple of years ago and said, right, let's start another company and let's work together to, to buy an asset. We'll just IPO an ASX company. But is doing it this way, doesn't conflict with their existing roles in companies they already run? Is that why you would go down this route? Because you can get those people together without being a conflict to their existing companies? How? What's the reason for them using a SPAC or going down this SPAC route? I think I think you go back to our cynics first optimist take on that one. Um, there's obviously the, prefer, the the fee they receive yeah, from the, successful the cyn- completion. The cynic, That's the cynic the is like, yeah, there's a big payoff that comes with a deal completion. Um, the company will also probably flag that the um, debt markets in the the US are a bit deeper, and they could have, you know, tapped that a bit better. I'd, that could also be argued when you actually look at where all the the funding came from. I, th- I think this like the broader question here is like, as as just an an, an investor in public markets, you're always looking for opportunities where incentives can be maximally aligned. You you want. You want to be able to buy in at the same price as management. Um, you want them to own enough shares that they they care about the same thing as you. All of these things sort of matter. I think there are some some pretty good examples where superstar mining guys um, do like they leverage their reputation and they get a new vehicle um, and new equity has a chance to invest at the same price and on the same terms as as those superstars. And and I think that's an example of where you get pretty aligned incentives i'm not convinced that the alignment of incentives is um is comparable to a, to a spac where where yeah the the sponsors which are sometimes key, key members of management are getting an entry price that's orders of magnitude cheaper than new equity right now just clarify again for me the funding for this so the headline number was 1.1 billion us for the purchase of CSA, but you went through all the the royalty streams, the delayed considerations, and so the upfront consideration, uh, taking into account the fact that they're they're getting upfront money for these offtake agreements. So yeah, so upfront uh, was what eight seventy five. Yeah, the way to think about it is eight seventy five upfront plus thirty one million dollars in financing costs. So nine hundred and six million dollars, which will be paid in the next couple of months to from, Glencore. From Mac to Glencore. Exactly. And yep. Mac have got all that cash from various sources. They've got that through their senior debt. They've got that through their mezzanine debt. They've got that through their equity investments. They've got that through their pipe. All that Cisco and Sprott stuff that plays into there. And whatever cash is left in the trust that isn't redeemed. 100%. That's okay, how you so get that, to that total. And we'll put up a great chart now on, on YouTube that really summarises that well. Okay, so the acquisition price is covered. Now they're going to potentially come to Australia and let's say hypothetically they raise, get a lot of interest and raise 500 million bucks Aussie for this ASX IPO of Metals Acquisition Corp. So then that money will be... Well, that like could a, be a used for... of operating, operational cash flow. Um, sorry, operating capital. Yeah, that could be used for various things. Yeah, hopefully they wouldn't need any working capital at that point, but hypothetically there could be, you know, consolidation of assets. It could be used to pay down that very high interest paying debt. There's a whole range of sources. Mm-hmm. That potentially bucks potentially got- other acquisitions. Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah. 75 million bucks of that raise 
goes to, to Glencore and that triggers one of their deferred consideration pieces in, U, in US dollars. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you'd probably want to delever the company if you had new equity in the door. Maybe maybe some of it is, you know, a sell down as well of shareholders. Um, yeah, we'll buy back some of those streams. There's, yeah. a, there's a few ideas out there. Is that going to trade as a CDI to the New York Stock Exchange listing? How's that going to work? The yeah. ASX IPI or is it going to be completely separate? I would think so, but not 100% sure what the company's intentions are on that just yet. Okay, so they're, they're investing this, these all-star crew are investing in the future prosperity of copper. So let's think about Kobo. You've got CSA, you've got you've got the Peel Mine around there. There's a lot of – and look, development it's not, got – It's not called the Peel Mine. The company's called Peel. Peel, Peel, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, and then you've got, you know, developer Woodlawn. So there's – Aurelia you know, around Aurelia. there. Yeah, Manuka's Manuka. got some yep. weird um, one. Helix, I think, are in the area. Yeah, so there's that – New South, that New South Wales copper basin uh, could be a little hot spot coming up in the future. As I said, highest, one of the highest grade copper mines in the world um, and you would imagine that they're going to put a bit of that Aussie IPO into some hard exploration for that area. Um, a lot of existing infrastructure and they'll be looking to find it a bit higher up than 1,750 metres. Um, so yep. I guess it fits that blend of, you know, this mightn't fit a big Glencore, but it might fit a, a smaller company that's willing to spend the money on exploration and like, you know, Northern Star did. Exactly right. right. And so it's like Mick McMullen CEO running the company and um, reputable operator. Um, yeah, who right. knows how Glencore's run the mine? Mick might have a view that spend a bit of money on development um, and that's going to lead to better cash flows over time as well. So maybe that's another use of funds in, in any future race. Yeah, this is uh, going to be very exciting to keep a watch on, especially to see who's on the uh, Aussie IPO register. Well, that's the the interesting. That, that's why this whole story is super relevant, right? Because we're not left with many copper names on the ASX, and we're excited by the prospect of having a new one join the listed tables over here. So, you know, we're pretty interested, and and it, it gives a bit of a uh, scope on people's these high net wealth people's views on what they think the future is going to be because if they're putting tip of money into these copper IPOs they're obviously got the same will Mr Ellison go in there maybe <laughs> right Gascoigne coming out with some drilling results from there never never so the interesting little hit was uh they intersected 200 meters west of their never never which uh that caught our eye it was RC pre-collar four meters at 24 and a half grams so Recoller close to the surface. Assays from depth are still pending. You've got Rocks Resources follow-up drilling from their Bonanza 28 metre, 34.8 gram t- per tonne hit. Uh, their follow-up drilling returned four assays. The highlights were 5.7 metres at 8.2 grams and five metres at nine and a half. So, and develop back onto them. They've hit an extremely thick intersection at their Woodlawn deposit, 75 metres at 2.1% copper and 3.1% zinc. That is a stonker. Good work, Bill. Yeah, that's an exciting one. Hey? Right, hey, boys. Shut it down. Cheers. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.